to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. I want to try to bring it all together as we read it, but then we're going to cover verses 1 through 6, and then next week look at 7 through 18. Um, so... Um, this section, as Paul has been defending himself against the Corinthian mindset, remember that we've seen repeatedly, of status and in, in significance and um, wealth and eloquence, and Paul has defended himself, and now he's going to go into this section where he's leaving the defense of his apostleship and his authority um, over them as, as, as one who had brought the gospel to them, and he's going to be now setting as a big, huge gift of, of evidence to them, isn't it the gospel? Isn't it your new life in Christ? Isn't it salvation that's, that's taken place in your life? Isn't that obvious to you guys? And therefore, based off of that, where, where, where did you um, leave behind that thinking? You, you've forgotten some things. And so um, this week, we're going to be looking at this view of the new covenant. Um, and, and in this, um, we get to see some of the, the most beautiful things that are taking place in the new covenant. Um, and I hope you walk away truly ju- just in awe and, and transformed a bit by beholding what we're going to see today and what was the old covenant versus the new covenant. Um, if you have friends or relatives or uh, people around your life that, that have some of the mindset of um, what... What of the Old Testament are we still supposed to be keeping? What parts of the Old Covenant and the Old Law are we still supposed to be keeping? I hope that you'll be able to point them to this to to begin to see some of the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and and the beauty of the New Covenant. Um, And so we'll cover that this week, um, the view of the New Covenant, but then next week we'll look at some of the realities of, of that New Covenant. Uh, as well. And so tying in last week, uh, chapter 2, ending in that end of chapter 2, we want to tie this together where Paul was saying, in in this weak state, Christ brings them in at the end of this triumphal procession. Remember, it was an aroma of Christ for some who were coming to life, right, eternal life, and awakening them to this new life, those who were being saved, but death to others. And now he's going to tie that in, and he's coming out of his defense of his own authority in their lives and over that church, but also he's bringing in the centrality of the gospel in the new covenant. So we're going to read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read all the way through it and, and try, to, try to bring in, even this week in verses 1 through 6, what he's bringing about, and at the end he's building towards chapter 3, verse 18 there. So in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, 
but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, and I want you to notice Paul's characterization of the old covenant. Like, some people could read this as, is he really calling this glorious thing, the old covenant, a a ministry of death, letters of death? And so notice what his wording here, twice he, he, he names it and categorizes it. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not even gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. I want you to think through that. What is the glory that surpasses it? He gets to it at the end. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would have put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For even to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, Father, we we thank you for the beautiful truths that we're about to look at. We thank you that in the very heart of God, the Trinity before there was creation, before there was a world, before there were universes and all kinds of beings, that you had a plan. You had a love so great for us. You were ultimately glorifying. There was nothing lacking in your glory. There was nothing lacking in your love. There was, wasn't an absence or a void that you needed to create because you were bored, because you were lacking something, but out of your goodness, And out of your love, you created, and you created us. And so we're amazed at what cost you would pay in this new covenant compared to the old. We thank you for what you're doing, and let us see beautiful things about you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So... Like I said, Paul is transitioning into this. And so he starts out there in verses 1 and 2 just talking about um, 
this, he kind of uses these rhetorical questions, and they're meant to elicit an obvious response. So if you look in verses 1 and 2 there, as he starts out chapter 3, are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or, or in, in some way, do we need letters of recommendation? Now think through that. Those are just rhetorical questions, meaning obviously, no. Look at your lives. Your lives are the proof. Um, in that day, uh, traveling around, um, as, as, as different peoples, we've learned about this city, and new people would come in with new philosophies, new religions. Think, how, think about how um, um, new knowledge, new information, and news, how it was transferred. No Twitter, right? No, no TikTok. Thank God for TikTok, right? It's so helpful in life. And so, sorry kids if that's offensive. Um, so um, all those things um, that, that they didn't have, and so how did news transfer? Um, People would come in, and so in those days, letters of commendation went out. So you had to have a letter sometimes, especially if you were speaking to a people as some sort of um, authority. You better have the backing of a king. So even those letters would have the king's stamp or a seal on it, or you would have something from the king, even the robes or, or rings to signify. We have letters of commendation. We have letters of recommendation. You should be listening to us. And Paul's saying, look at your lives. It's funny because you believe you're Christians. In fact, you believe you're elevated above us now. And in fact, these other people have come in without letters of recommendation, these super apostles who are, who are just like the world that you want to be like, so powerful, so prominent, high in status, high in worldly eloquence. And they've come in and they've misled you to where you've dropped off thinking about the gospel and what Christ has done. And instead... You're, you're, you're following what they've said is important in life. But yet you would say that you are Christians, you're believers. How did that come about? Wasn't it by us, my crew, Paul's crew, coming in sharing the gospel? We shouldn't need letters of recommendation. Your hearts, your lives are the letters. In fact, he's, he's kind of being a little facetious here going, I would think that you would want to think that the people around you would be able to look at your lives, and that would attest to, to Christ, right? And that's what he's kind of saying there. So he, he's laying that into them, um, laying it on pretty heavily. Um, he wants them to see, how did that come about? Wasn't that through us sharing the gospel message with you? You, yourselves, you are the fruit of our ministry. But he says, it, it's not us. He's very Isn't it? It's the sufficiency of God. It's not us because that we were sufficient messengers, it's the power of the gospel. It's the power of God changing you. Because you do clearly think you've changed. Because, you know, remember, remember we've seen all the, the, the self-righteousness that's going on in this church. I mean, they're not only Christians, they're the top 1% of Christians. They've got it all figured out. They're, they're the right ones. They're the, the powerful ones. They're the ones that are the highest elevated Christians. And Paul's going, man, it, surely, if some changes come about... Where did that come from? And so look at verses 2 and 3 there. He says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts. So you see this intimacy there. To be known and read by all, ever, not only us, but, but others. And you show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. So now he's just transferring into, he's bringing into their thinking, oh, a contrast in types of um, letters here. And so he's going to use this as a metaphor to bring up the old covenant and the new covenant. Because he's going to that story about Moses that we just read. And so their, their mind should be going back like, oh yeah, Moses, 
the Old Testament, Mount Sinai, going up to the mount and, and getting the Old Testament um, and then the, the Ten Commandments and then all of the first five books of the Bible, right? The Torah. So all of that, we should be thinking about that. That's why he's bringing it. He's comparing that in their minds. He says, it's not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God that's done this. Not on tablets of stone like then, but on tablets of the human heart. Because you think you're changed, right? You're, you're good Christians, right? And he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. So he's not even shaming them, which he could have. He's not even guilting them. He's lifting their thoughts up to be, remember, remember. That's the confidence we have. Not that we're sufficient, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now here, here's where we're going to camp out a little bit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So, if the Corinthians' very lives were to be the visible letters of Christ, think through that. That's what Paul just said. Your lives should be clear to all. You're Christ-like. You're imaging forth Christ. Um, Christian, the word Christian, just little Christ, right? Um, and so that idea, how are you doing on that, Corinthians? And I think that we could kind of flip that to us and go, our lives, your workplace, your family, your neighbors, the places we live and work and play and, and seek entertainment, the letter that, that you're revealing to the people around you. What, what, what's the letter that people are reading about Christ? Is he sufficient? Or do you need a lot of other stuff? Are we always, always, always wanting more than what he's provided, more than what he's given us. If people were to look at your life, would they be able to see that you're living out the implications of the great commandment and the great commission? So Paul's going to use this for them, to press that to them, comparing now the old covenant leading to the new covenant. So he says, um, he's using this now this metaphor, letters from Christ on tablets of human hearts. So he's revealing the work of Christ, the beauty of the work of the Christ in the new covenant contrasted with the old covenant. So notice in the, the, the words he uses there. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. And then not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So this is speaking of some eternal mysteries formed in the very core of the very heart of God before creation. This goes back into eternity past that the Father, Son, and Spirit in their enjoyable time together decided in love to purpose and to create and to purpose and redeem a people who that people would experience the greatest thing they could ever enjoy and live for and worship would be God himself. And he gets worship out of that and we get the greatest gift ever, himself. So, um, he also is revealing some of the most beautiful steps set in place towards us from God's redemptive plan of love. And so um, in Exodus 31, 18, so this is just um, comparing this idea on tablets of stone. We could have went to a lot of places um, in the Old Testament, but this is just one, a, a big summary statement on just you know the, 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 um, the Old Covenant. 
And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So again, there are lots of places. You know that story. And Moses goes up on the mountain, and God gives him the tablets of stone. And here it's, it's saying it was even written with the finger of God. And so on tablets of stone. So this is referring to the Old Covenant. Now, when we talk about Old Covenant, um, it can be confusing. If you haven't ta- been taught this or you haven't learned this, anytime we're talking about the Old Covenant, it's not just the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. Because remember, Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. Well, what about the rest of the, the, the Torah? All of that was considered the law also, right? So especially for us, when, when we as Americans read like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, anyone ever go like, oh my gosh, like what in the world? And then you've got some people who are trying to apply like two out of 10, four out of 10, and you've got family members like, well, we have to wear shoes that look like this because one time he said this and we're supposed to circle, circle a stick three times and back up one step. Oh, if you do it wrong, you're killed and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is nuts. And so sometimes people get really, really offended or really, really caught up in which one of those apply, which one of those don't apply. Um, and so all of that is referred to as the law. Um, or the Mosaic Law, or the Law of Moses, Mosaic Covenant, the Sinai Covenant. Um, it also, so you, you know, in Exodus, the Ten Commandments that come out there very clearly, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, but it's not only the Ten Commandments, it's not only the Torah, the first five books, but also it's all of the Old Testament. Um, and where we see that what he's showing here is it's not that the Old Covenant was removed. It was not that the Old Covenant was bad. What we're going to see probably more next week is that it's not that the old covenant was bad, it's that sin was the problem. The law is what reveals to us that you're a lawbreaker. So remember Jesus' first big um, time of the, the, the big gathering, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. And so a lot of us, right, older brother types, legalists, we go, tell me the list. Give me the list of 10. Ready? Mark, I'm going to do it. I can do this. Tell me what I need to do, Jesus. Blessed are the, oh, I'm going to go do that one. Oh, I'm supposed to be merciful. I'm supposed to be righteous. I'm so, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And he was actually going, I'm sorry, you're confused. You, you can't do it. There's not one of you that can do any of these. I'm saying this to you to show you that even breaking one of those is eternal consequences, even breaking one of them. And so in James, it says that if you've broken one of the commandments, you've broken all the law. So we know that we're fallen under Adam. And so the, 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 the law was supposed to crush you. So remember, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The very first one, the opening, the crack of opening the door was not who all can do this and who gets in. It was the picture of that beggar that was bent over and just with his hand just trembling, this beggar covering his face with his hand out trembling, poor in spirit. The beggar that would sit at the marketplaces letting little 14-year-olds come by and kick him because they thought they were better. The people maybe throw stuff at him. They look down on But the, the whole point there was this person that was poor in spirit Spiritual bankruptcy. God, I have nothing to offer on this. So the law was supposed to crush us. You can't live this out. Jesus was saying, you're going to need me. The whole point of this is you, you need me. So all of that refers to the law. Um, now, the old covenant had three categories. Um, it had the, the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial. So ceremonial were all those feasts 
and all those activities. And when you had to you know, pack up your family and take a week's journey and go into Jerusalem and, and do some sacrifices and those type of things, uh, the, the civil or the way that we act and treat one another, the type of um, neighborly conduct, the type of good treatment of others, so civil type things. And then the moral or those, those moral laws, whether that's actions, or thought, or deed, um, all those things. So it was broken into three categories. Now, if you have those friends or family members who are trying to keep all those, like even just keeping the Sabbath, which is a big one. I mean, there's some, there's some things like, if you don't keep the Sabbath, you should die. Take that person out, kill them if they don't keep the Sabbath. Like, wow, it's pretty serious. Um, that's a miserable church meeting to go to those people's houses and knock on the door afterwards when they don't keep the Sabbath right. And so in that, you're not supposed to travel more than a fourth of a mile. So if you have family members trying to keep the old covenant who think that they're supposed to, you can't travel more than a fourth of a mile on the Sabbath. That's just one of like a thousand little things. So we can't do that, right? So um, those three categories were given, and it was not going to be that um, it was going to be applied to the church. So it was given to Israel as a nation-state government ruled by God. Think through that. A nation-state government ruled by God. Um, it's not the church that those were given to. So now Moses goes up the mount. He comes back with the Ten Commandments on the table of stone. It's written by the finger of God. Surely, what would you do if I said, hey, folks, I'm going to go behind one of our you know, black curtains. God's going to speak to me. You wait here. And when I come out, I mean, can you imagine, like, that would be, I mean, there's probably churches out there doing that, but like, can you imagine, like, the, the, the anticipation, all that? What do you think the people are doing? What would the people be doing with that kind of anticipation towards God? Well, right away, you see what happens in, in, in Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, uh, we don't know what's become of him. So does Aaron take a good stance? Aaron says, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears and your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who has brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Man, are they stupid and foolish and ignorant? Uh, I mean, after God's done all of this, they return right to idols just like you and I do Sunday afternoon and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, right? Or are we just better than them? We've got Teslas and iPhones. I mean, how could they compete, really? Just foolish people. It's a heart issue. God's done a beautiful work. We, we, did they know Jesus? Did they know the cross? Not at all. Not at all. Look how much revelation we have. Look at the grace poured out on us. And still you and I struggle with our idols, struggle with little lies. And so we should be amazed at him, amazed that just like with these people. So what, what God should have just smited them. And I had a whole bunch more of, you know, like we could have gone into this and this is where, you know, like God's like, I should come down and crush this people. Moses is like, oh Lord, please don't, you know, and they go into this discussion. And so, um, 
in that, God was showing the human element. It wasn't that God had you know, two different things and he needed Moses to counsel him. He's revealing the human plea in that. So if, you're, if you've been confused about that, when God, like God relented and decided to listen to Moses, that wasn't the case. God was doing this, the, the, the writer, Moses, is going like, and I spoke these things on behalf of the humans. It wasn't that God was like going, well, I, you, know, you made a good point. I had this in mind, but that. And so when he's re- talking about relenting there, it was always part of God's plan there. And so he was doing that just to reveal the human fact that we would be going, God, please, please, just like we do in all kinds of things. We pray for God to do something there. So that's what goes into Ezekiel, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Exodus 34. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain, the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, the tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on tablets. So there's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And so now let's contrast that with the New Covenant. This is what Paul is leading them to see, the letter kills the old covenant but the spirit gives life speaking of the new covenant so let's look at jeremiah 31 it's on the screen there um jeremiah 31 one of the most significant very very clear pictures of the new covenant which paul's bringing into view behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and the house of judah not like the covenant that i made with their fathers on the day when i took them by the hand bring them out of the land of egypt my covenant that they broke Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel and, and after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, know the Lord, for they shall all know me the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sins no more. So he goes directly into the gospel. Even at this point, did he say, I'm going to send the second person of the Trinity. We're going to call him Jesus. No, didn't, didn't even give him that much, right? So if you're an Old Testament God-fearer trying to keep those rules and stuff, and, and so you have two types of people then. You have people doing it like, oh my gosh, I hate this ritual. This is so ridiculous. I, I'm going to kind of like, you know, cheat a little bit on it. I'm not really wanting to do it because this is just ridiculous that our whole tribe of people have to do it this way. Not in love with God. But they're doing it because society demanded it. They're not a follower of God. They're not probably going to be in heaven. Other people who are going, oh my God, we love you so much. We're so thankful and so grateful. Life is hard. We're, we're very broken. We're very poor. But we do these acts of sacrifice, going and getting this pigeon, going and taking this, this, this sacrificial lamb. We do this because we see your love for us, God. We see that you're a God who can be trusted. You're this incredible God that we love so much. We do these things because of our love towards you, out of worship. That's a God fear whose sins are going to be forgiven, not by the lamb they're sacrificing, but by Jesus, a guy they don't know, 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later, right? So all Old Testament people were saved not by the law, but by Jesus, who they didn't even understand clearly. So look at Ezekiel 36. Now, this is one of my very favorite passages. Um, So Ezekiel 36, um, we're just going to cover 22 through 25. 
First, yeah, I'll, let me hit 22 first, and then we'll go to 25. So, um, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus the Lord. Now, I do have to clarify. So, you have some language going in and out here. He's speaking to Israel, the people. Here's what I'm about to do to you. And so, they were under some consequences of their sin, and they were in, under some of the discipline of the Lord at this point. And he was saying, I am going to restore. So, we've been through the book of Daniel, right? Remember uh, the restoration? We've been through um, the book of Nehemiah, remember? So, when God brings them out of discipline and, and restores Israel and restores Judah, and restores um, uh, Jerusalem. We, we know that there's times when they're under punishment, right? So they were, but he's also speaking about something different here also, about what he will do in individual hearts that takes place. And this is where that picture of John 3, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again, born. The word, the Greek is meaning they're born from above, meaning from the spirit right? The Spirit is going to do this. This is describing behind the curtain, behind the scenes, what God did before you were able to go, man, I need to be saved from my sins. This is a picture of the work God's doing behind the scenes. If you've been saved or if you're not saved, this is what he may be doing to to woo you towards himself, to woo you towards him, what I believe turns into irresistible grace. He doesn't have a button that he switches, and then you're made to do something, made to be a Christian that you don't want. I believe he draws you, even in all of your sin, up to this place where it becomes irresistible, and you go, that's exactly what I want. I want you, God. And you step across that line, receiving his salvation. Here's what it is. It's not for your sake, Israel. It's not for your sake, Israel, that I'm about to act. But for my sake, my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. So just a big picture there. It's not only about you, mankind. This is for me. This is about me and my glory. There's, there's, there's stuff out there even bigger than you can imagine. So he's talking to Israel, but he's also revealing to us some, through, through, through some blurry language here. Here's what's going on in hearts. Look in verse 25. And I want you to think through 25, 26, and 27. What did you do? And what did God do? Think about what you must do and what God must do here. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. This is the thrust of Paul's message in chapter 3. And a new spirit should be a, a small s for you. So our soul and spirit inside of each man, each woman. A new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, so the fleshly part of you tied to Adam, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, where you'll be soft, your heart will be softened to the gospel. And I will put my, capital S, my spirit within you and cause you, think through that, I will put my spirit within you, and that will enable you. My spirit, controlling your spirit, will enable you, will cause you to walk in my statutes. You will be able to walk in my statutes. You will be able to be careful to obey my rules because my spirit is controlling your spirit. Now, how much did we do in that, and how much did God do? Why? Did that happen to you and not to Hitler? Why did that happen to you and not to 70% of the world that is in either worshiping animalistic gods, Hindu, Buddhist, 
Islam? Why? We better? So just a beautiful picture of God's new covenant. Um, listen to Dr. Thomas Schreiner, um, what he says on this. He's a, one of my professors back at Southern. Since believers are no longer under the Mosaic covenant, we're not under the stipulations of the old covenant as a covenant. The Mosaic or Sinai covenant was enacted with Israel, not with us. Yahweh inaugurated the covenant with Israel when he freed them from Egypt. Israel's covenant with the Lord contained both religious and political elements. And thus Israel as a nation, as a distinct people, received specific commandments for both its religious and political life. The laws of Israel were its charter as a nation, as God's special people in the ancient world. But the laws and stipulations are not the requirements of the church of Jesus Christ, which is under the new covenant. So, old covenant people, old people in, the, people in the Old Testament would be saved because of Jesus on the cross, not because of the, the religious ceremonial things, the dietary laws that they kept. They wouldn't be saved through that. That's what Paul was saying. The letter kills. It only crushes you to show you this will not change you. The law cannot change you. External obedience can't change you. You need life from the Spirit, which we just read in Ezekiel. It's going to be in, in, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah that that's going to be Christ coming. Now, do you see the beauty and the depth of God's grace for them? But also, this brings in some very deep and mysterious and weighty things because I want you to think through, are you okay with the Trinity? So not just thinking Father, Old Testament. Because Jesus is waiting for the second half, right? You know, fourth quarter, we need Jesus to come in. Now, Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father in the Old Testament selecting one group of people out of all the Perizzites and Ammonites, all those ites and ites and ites who worshiped false gods, who had just as many sins as you and I, and God sent his revelation to who? Israel. God sent his plan of redemption to who? To Israel. Are you okay with the Trinity? Not just angry Old Testament, bearded, old man father. No, no. The Trinity, the beautiful, glorious, happy, loving Trinity going the most wise thing we could do. We don't have to save any. We don't have to choose any of these tribes. We don't have to choose any of these nations. Look what we're doing here. Do you, do you see the worship that should be brought in? Are you, do you understand that the ancient world, all those other nations and tribes, all those were worshiping false gods? Are you okay with the Trinity that they saw and they knew that other um, great, great majority of all those nations and peoples worship false gods? And they didn't get revelation from God like Israel did. So just spend some time thinking about your view of the Trinity over Old Testament times. Are you okay with that? Because sometimes we have a huge disconnect between when we read some of the New Testament letters and we see God's sovereignty, and we've never really thought through what that meant for all those peoples and nations and tribes in the Old Testament. We're kind of just like, oh, yeah, that's sad for them. Kill them, David. Kill them, David. Kill them, David. And then we're like, a New Testament, like, oh, that, I don't think I like the way this says. It couldn't mean this. So when we talk about God's sovereignty, you better have a, a very biblical view of God's sovereignty across not only the Trinitarian view, but also the whole Bible. So the covenants. Now let me go quickly into this. This is the 
or framework of covenants. Um, so a covenant. Um, well, let me go first to the larger framework of covenants. These are things sometimes we've never been taught. So first of all, um, we just have the, the covenants of works. There's three of these covenants. The covenant of works. And so in, in, in theologians for hundreds of years, um, this is what they've called. So the Adamic covenant. So Adam, Adamic, and then um, the Noahic. And so that's, that's, he made a covenant with Noah. Remember, they stepped off the ship. Remember that? And so then with uh, the Abrahamic covenant, um, with the Mosaic covenant, with the Davidic covenant. So there's different covenants as God was bringing his kingdom about through time. So, and then that's a just side note. I won't spend any time on it. Um, but that's where you have different people's views uh, theologically on, are we dispensationalists or are we covenant theology? Are we a dispensationalist or are we covenant theology? And so I don't align with um, uh, dispensationalism in that way. Um, I'm also not a full covenantal theologian. I would probably align more as a progressive covenantalist. And so um, I would encourage you to think through, there, there's a book called Kingdom Through Covenant and seeing God working progressively through his covenants to fulfill in Christ. And so, um, that, again, that's a progressive uh, covenantalism. And so um, the, the first one, this covenant of works, it's tied to Adam. So again, most have never heard about this, but you know about it. It's, it's, it's the Romans 6 and Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's just, you know, I mean, most of us agree with that. If you don't, you can talk afterwards. But like, so the covenant of works is saying that um, we have this, this situation going on with um, our fallenness um, where it's a legally binding set of agreements that stipulates conditions of the covenant, blessing for obedience, curses or consequences for disobedience. So very, very clearly in you know, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, all those type things. But we know, so, but now we've got the New Testament. And so look at Romans 6.23 there. For the wages of sin, what we earn for our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So spiritual death is what he's talking about. Separation from God. Romans 3.23, under Adam, we are his offspring, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus perfectly obeyed the covenant of works for us. So now let's, let's talk about this covenant of works. Um, and in that covenant of works, where we are tied to Adam, his works made us all sinful, right? We're all sinful because of Adam and Eve's sin. So in that, um, we needed someone to come live as a human and not live like Adam did and not sin. We needed a perfect one, a perfect human, to be our new representative. Where Adam was our first representative, Adam and Eve, that were tied to that all fall short and sin. We needed a new representative. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's holy, righteous standard in his life. So Romans 5, um, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died, so all are dead spiritually, all have died, or all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If, if many died through one man's trespass, talking about Adam, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Judgment came on all of us because of Adam and Eve's transgression, right? But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. The free gift. For if because of one man's trespass, Adam, Death reigned through that one man, 
How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Look in verse 18 here. So, so therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, so Adam and Eve, sin, led all of us to be sinners, we, we do bad things because we're sinful in nature. We sin because we're sinful in nature. It's not we're blank slates. That became popular in the 60s and 70s in pop psychology that we're a blank slate and you can either choose to do good or choose to do bad. That's not it. No, you sin because you're by nature a sinful being. This condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. So that's what we're talking about today in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3. The letter kills. Remember, we've talked about that. That the law showed us we couldn't keep God's holy standard. And where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The letter kills. The Spirit brings life. So let me just park the truck for a second here. As, as we hear Paul mentioning this picture of the old covenant and the new covenant, what takes place there where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Deep, deep articles in the heart of God that have been brought to our attention through brilliant theologians. Stuff that we haven't even heard of in some of these covenants, right? The covenants of works. And Paul's saying, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So you've got guilt and shame that you struggle with. He's got grace. Grace abounds all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Don't be afraid of grace. You got a past that keeps doing one of two things, whispering reminders in your ear how bad you are, that you've blown it. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be able to keep it all together. Or whispering, just return to that sin. Just return to that idol. It'll satisfy. It'll bring satisfaction. It'll bring satisfaction. Where sin was, Grace abounded all the more. Grace abounded all the more. You sin against, uh, you, you've got sin against you from others, stabbing into you, where sin increased. Grace abounded all the more. You feel like a failure and you can't keep it together. You can't ever be good enough, can't ever do good enough. Be thankful. You're right. You can't. Embrace that. Where sin was, Grace abounded all the more. It should be leading us to Christ. You don't have to live in that. It's a lie. Sin has no power over you if you're saved. It's Christ's imputed righteousness. His perfect life that he lived out, it's on loan to us. You could just go, you're right. I am a failure. I am a flawed person. To be transformed, I need to gaze at you, beholding the glory of the Lord. We will be transformed. And this is, it leads to freedom. And in our circles, it doesn't lead to freedom. It doesn't lead to freedom in our circles. It leads to more law and more lists many times. You have this ability 
in an account that you're not using, Christ's righteousness. Instead of um, white-knuckling it and trying harder and trying harder or making more lists and more lists and more lists, um, this is why I'm always bashing legalism or, or list living, um, the older brother type stuff and the younger brother type. It's not living in the grace of God. And what, we've, what, we're, what we're surpassing is this, this picture that he brings up. Um, look at this slide that I have of this double substitution. We know about this first part. So um, this, on the bottom of this slide where it says, so we know that the death of Christ accomplished this. So we, we were down at the very bottom of the screen, man's state of sinful depravity, eternal wrath. We were awaiting God's wrath. We're enemies of God. Justification, the cross brought us up to an, a zero bank account. So you were, you know, $10 billion of sin in the hole, right? 10 billion sins in the hole. And Jesus goes, I'm clearing the account. Here's the 10 billion. I'm paying for it. I'll take on your sin debt. So it brings up to a, a balance right there. So the atonement of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the debt was paid, the propitiation for our sins, that's what the cross did. That's Jesus' cross work. That's the work of Jesus on the cross. But we also have the person of Jesus, the life that he lived, the teaching, his perfect obedience to God's law. We needed a representative to live that out for us. That's what we're actually going to be living in heaven on. We're going to be based upon that. So it's like this robe that's put on us. So now we know my, my sin debt is, is a zero balance. It's paid for. The wrath is paid for. That's justification. We've not done a good job of learning about sanctification. So look at that. God's holy justice, holy wrath against sin was taken care of. But now we need to live at the very top of it and God's holy righteousness. That's heaven. That's what we're going to be living out. How can we live like that in heaven? Because how Jesus lived here based on his righteousness. You have a new heart, but now also we have the sanctification process going to, to what leads to ultimate glorification. Any of that? Did you do any of that? Could you add one one millionth of one percent to your justification or sanctification or glorification? So then I'll just go back again. Why? Why you? If you knew a week's worth of stuff, a week's worth of stuff that I lived out for years. You would proudly be going, crucify him. Crucify Just a week's worth. And maybe that's you too. So why? Or maybe you're really, 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 really good. And Jesus would say, this law crushes you. I know you thought you were doing so good. You thought you were so good at being right. You are so right on all your doctrines, so right on all your living. You have no chance. And all this crushes. And here's Jesus going, I'm the one. I paid the debt. I lived the perfect life. And I will ultimately rip you out of that grave to new bodies that you get to live like me, with me in heaven. No sin anymore. No hurt, no pain. And also you not causing hurt and pain. So his death was that justification, not guilty. A 
of the entire law of sin. His life, the sanctification, is the imputed righteousness. It's like this robe, and what do we do? We throw it off. And you know what? So we, we understand justification in our circles. On sanctification, we, we, that robe, we go, you know what we do? We do the same thing. We throw off the robe and go, I don't, I don't need your, your righteousness, Jesus. I can, I can hold this together. Have you seen how I'm raising my kids? Have you seen my choices on all our choices on all these things? Our lists, do you see what I'm doing? That's what we do in our circles. It's a slap in his face. Thanks for the salvation part. I got the sanctification part on my own. Pull up my bootstraps. You sit back, Jesus, and watch how good I can live this life. Watch how good I can be. That's what we do. The death of a lamb or a goat or an ox could never do that for us. Keeping all the rules was not only not possible, but it still would not save It's impossible, even if someone might try to keep those external rules of the law. So let me connect the dots and and drop in, in this deep, deep realities of God's work that we're looking at here with our practical steps. So the deepness of what we've just seen here in these these covenants to the practical steps of of being afraid of grace. So we want to do a service project. Well, I'm afraid if we go in that area and do that, are, are we kind of joining in with the critical race theory? That's our practical outworking. Aren't you on a slippery slope? You're going to go to that neighborhood and do, oh, I've read some articles. I've read some blogs about that. We couldn't do that. If we go do that, we're on a slippery slope. Hey, Corinthians, you're missing it. You missed it. Who are you listening to? What was the gospel about? Was it about what, what, what you could do and, and how you're going to mess it up, or, or is it about what Christ has done? We can't do that because that may be the wrong thing. With our practical steps, here's a book uh, addressing the very biggest of spiritual pride. Well, we, I wouldn't want to read that. Um, that guy's probably on a slippery slope. I've read a couple of articles. It goes into everything. It goes into um, what we do as a people gathered, what we do as a people scattered, we cannot, cannot, cannot. We can't do this. We can't do that. Can't. Fear, 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 fear. Even though some may know that, many key, um, so we're not under the requirements of the old covenant, but even though some people may know that, many keep trying to add more and more lists of obedience that are not biblical, but are, but are beyond biblical in an attempt to be more accepted than the others. More pleasing to God than, than this church. More pleasing to God than this person. Because oh, our, our, our kids do this. Our kids wear this. Our kids, our family does it. And it's a slap in the face to him. I'll take your justification. I'll provide my own sanctification. And our circles are filled with it. Here's what we don't understand. The next part is the covenant of redemption. This is an inter-Trinitarian um, covenant. So the covenant of works, Adam, we're all sin. Covenant of redemption, we don't even know about. It's uh, between the Son and the Father and the Spirit, where it was between them and they said, there's no creation yet. The Father in his beautiful love said, I'm going to send you, Son. And the Son said, I would love to go for those people because I want them to get you. I want them to get me. I want them to get the Spirit. They don't deserve it. They could never earn it. It was an inner Trinitarian thing, and the Spirit says, I'll go and open their eyes. Ezekiel 36, my Spirit's going to come. He's going to breathe new life. He's going to cause you, enable you to enjoy God. What do we do? 
Hey, Cosby enabled me to be really, really good, to look good in front of others. Cosby enabled me to keep these lists and to impress people with how godly my list looks compared to theirs. Cause me to do that, Spirit. You've missed it. This inner Trinitarian um, covenant of redemption was between the Trinity with us not even in the picture other than the fact of they're dead spiritually, we're going to have to go after them. And they kept that and, and on, based on love completely, this whole covenant. So we had nothing to do with our redemption. It was a work of God where the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It was a voluntary act of love towards us, an undeserving party. Other religions have no idea about this. They didn't have to do any of it. That's the covenant of redemption. That's actually Second um, Corinthians five twenty-one for our sake. Before you guys could even read, were even created. Here's what the three of us, the Trinity, agreed upon: for our sake, He would become sin who knew no sin, so that you might become the righteousness of God. That's our plan. So beautiful. So the covenant of grace, here are the differences in, in closing here, the differences of the covenant of grace, if this helps you thinking through. The law kills, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So the people of the old covenant, um, I have this slide that goes to um, the differences between the, the people of the old covenant and people of the new covenant. So the old covenant had Jewish lineage. The old covenant people were the Hebrews, were the Jewish people, right? They were the lineage of Abraham with the earthly promises and blessings and curses, right? Um, though they had the physical, they were the physical offspring of Abraham. Think through new covenant people. Um, they have a shared faith. We have a shared faith. We're the spiritual offspring of Abraham with heavenly promises. So it's not just Jews and Hebrews, it's Gentiles also. Kind of confusing for the disciples. Remember, lots of discussions about that in the New Testament, lots of fights. The people of the old covenant had Moses as their mediator, still based on human works. Remember the covenant of works. We learned about Adam. Do these things. The people of the new covenant have a covenant of grace with Christ as the one final mediator based on the completed work of Christ. The old covenant, the initial sign was circumcision. So think about that. So what was the sign for the old covenant? Circumcision. What was the ongoing thing that you had to do? Participation in all of the elements, right? Participation in all of the, the moral and civil and um, ceremonial acts, all those feasts. You, that's how you participated. We see that doesn't save anyone, right? For the new covenant, what, what, what's the initial thing? What, it's regeneration. So what is the sign of that? Regeneration of the heart. Regeneration of the heart. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 33, right? So um, that's the picture. The first initial thing is, is what God does. What's our response to that? What, what's the, 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 the initial step that we do is baptism. The initial sign for that is baptism. What's the ongoing thing to show that I've been changed? Participation in the Lord's Supper. So how beautiful is that? So... Um, I hope that you've been able to see something beautiful about those three covenants. Covenant of grace, the covenant of redemption, and the covenant of um, the new covenant. And to see there that um, God has done some stuff behind the scenes that we would never even imagine, that we couldn't even think through. I hope it brings deeper significance to you to think through why did Christ have to die? Why did God have to die to reconcile us back to God? Now you can see it had to be a human representative in our place. 
We had to have a new Adam. The sacrifices in the old covenant didn't work. Keeping the law didn't work. So we needed a new Adam, a human representative, taking our place for both, first of all, a perfect sacrifice, human, to take the wrath for sins. Secondly, perfect living obedience in human form, providing the living righteousness of God, the holiness of God required for us to live in the presence of a holy God. Jesus did both of those for us, a double substitution. So like Jason brought up earlier, something to celebrate, to erupt in just an ecstatic, joyous experience. 100,000 fans yesterday, Alabama and Texas A&M. 100,000 fans rushing. They weren't concerned about COVID if you saw it. 100,000 people over a 19, 20-year-old carrying a ball made of leather with air in it. A hundred th- like the world was not in existence. This was the only thing that mattered in life. We were a part of something here. There was unity. There, there was community. There was belonging. And there was worship over a 19-year-old boy who ran across a painted line with a ball. And I love it. I, I would be the first one in that line, the idiot, like, you know, crowd surfing, doing everything, just all kinds. Of, I, I love it, love it, love it. And look what we get to see. Maybe for you, 50,000 fans at the, at the OU Texas game and for OU to pay pitifully like they usually do in the first half and then come back strong and have all these people. There's, there's worship going on. There, there's stuff going on, but something to celebrate, something to experience joy in. What we just saw why you? Why did you get to have the gospel and reject it a thousand times when some people have never heard it once? All the depths that we just talked about, that he, that God did, this is what I've done for you. This is what I continue, this is what I'm trying to do in you, and I'm trying to do in you, and trying to do in you, all of this work. That's something to celebrate. That's something to have belonging in. That's something that the church can have unity in. Those are the things that we should be worshiping him for. So when you see, 318, beholding the glory, gazing, staring, being fixed at him. That's how we're transformed. Seeing that over and over and over. The lies are trying to repeat and loop in your head, and you're going, no, 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 here's the truth. Here's the truth. That's what I rejoice in. That's what I find as my truth. That's what we have to worship that kind of belonging and unity and acceptance and love. It's already been provided in Christ. So let me pray and we'll go into our time of the Lord's Supper.